welcome to another episode of The Extras. Lachlan here, joined this week by Sam. Hi everybody, it's good to be with you. Sam, it's been a little while since we've had you on. You've had yeah. a little stretch of holidays in I there, have. a little stretch of sickness. Yeah, How are you doing? Yeah, look, I'm doing much better. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's good to have full health, isn't it? You realise mm. how uh, dependent on your health as a gift from God you are. Mm. Um, and I'm sorry to miss a bunch of you on a... I was supposed to be preaching a bunch of sermons. Raj, thankfully, stepped in for me mm. and uh, thankful for that. Uh, but now I'm back. I'm ready to go. Uh, feeling good. Good to have you back, Sam. Yes. And uh, this week we're tackling quite a tricky passage, a passage that it's fair to say... Many Christians have disagreed on over mm, the years, and absolutely. as the history of the world has unfolded, that's kind of shaped yep. people's view of the passage in yep. different weird ways. Yes. Um, so we're in Matthew chapter 24. Mm. Uh, give us the brief rundown, Sam, of what, what you want us to get from Matthew yeah. 24. So Matthew 24 um, is, I guess, the um, the kickoff of a long discourse section that runs from 24 right through to the end of chapter 25 and we're tackling that over three weeks in church um, between myself and Peter and um, it I guess it's all kind of prompted by a question that the disciples ask about the um, a comment that Jesus makes about the temple going to be destroyed and uh, they want to know when that's going to happen and Jesus lays out a very long answer for them about the the coming the coming end, um, which uh, my summary was, it's complex um, mm. and uh, perhaps more complex than the disciples had thought. They were expecting mm. a pretty swift, quick, uh, the temple will fall and that'll be stumps, you know, da- game over. Um, Jesus seems to say, actually, there's going to be a bit of time. Um, there's going to be a bunch of things you need to watch out for and then the end will come. Mm. And so wait well. Um, you mm. won't know when it's going to happen. It might be a little longer than you anticipate, but be ready be watchful, um, stand, stand guard, stand watch, keep watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then the, the father will eventually send the son when he's ready. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's broadly speaking. Yeah, nice. that, that, that was nice. what it was about. And it's helpful to just see the flow of Matthew's narrative. I think he hinted at this, this being a big kind of final speech from Jesus. Yes. 23 ends with Jesus' final public words. Yeah, that's right. And so now he's withdrawn from the public. He's just with his disciples. Yep. He's left the temple. Mm. Um, feels like when you get to Matthew 23, it's the conclusion that John makes right at the start of his gospel. Jesus came to his own, mm, but his sorry. own didn't receive him. Yeah. And so having experienced that, he's now leaving and saying, well, I guess judgment is all that's left for you. Yeah. If you're not going to receive the Messiah. Yep. So that's what we're then reading about. And it's worth noting on that front as well. This is like, this is all happening within the last few days of Jesus' life. So Jesus dies on a Friday. I think my best calculation is to put this whole narrative happening on the Tuesday evening before Mm. that. Um, Mm. And so if you think about it, for Jesus, his his eyes, he knows what's coming on Mm. Friday. He's going to die on the cross. And Mm. and so matters of heaven and hell and God's Mm. judgment and the end of the world, um, they're very sort of acutely focused for Jesus here. Mm. And I think it's good for us to realize this is not just Jesus' generic teaching on the end, you know, when when he feels like giving a sermon on on end times. It's actually, I think, prompted by the the events that are about to happen in just like a matter of days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've got a bunch of questions that have come through. We'll yep. start in some that are, pick up the details of the text and then yep. we'll move towards some of the implications for yeah, us. Great. Uh, first one, verse 24, as Jesus is talking about what's to come, he says, mm-hmm. false messiahs and false prophets will appear in order to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Yeah. 
What's going on there? Who are the elect? How might these people deceive them? Yep. What's going on? Uh, so the elect, that, that means, uh, it's just another way of saying the chosen ones. Um, it's a phrase that the Bible uses uh, right throughout both Old and New Testaments for God's chosen people. Um, and that is, that is a, um, a teaching that the Bible holds is that God is a God who chooses people. Um, and in, in the Old Testament, that was his special chosen people, Israel, that the nation of Israel, they were elect, chosen by God. Um, in the New Testament, that sort of um, broadens out to those who have faith in Jesus. And um, it's interesting, a lot of people think of election, we, sometimes we talk about predestination, God's kind of choosing work, as if that's a, like a, a Paul doctrine. Um, it only mm. belongs to Paul, and he's mm. the one who came up with it, you know, in Ephesians chapter 1. And um, here is the very same doctrine on the lips of Jesus. And so I think it's just another point where we can see a consistency through the Bible's teaching that, like Paul, Jesus teaches about a, a, a chosen people who belong to him. Um, and, and that's, I mean, if that's not an idea that you've thought about before, it's worth just exploring that as a, as a doctrine that often we think, oh, I chose Jesus. You know, I became a Christian. I made a decision for Christ. And absolutely you did. Um, um, the Bible's teaching is that you've done that because before the creation of the world, God chose you to be one of his chosen people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and both of those things are true. You chose Jesus. And you chose him because he chose you. Mm. Um, now, that gets you thinking about all kinds of things, probably a little bit beyond the, the scope of this particular podcast. Um, that's, I think, who's in, who's in focus here, though, is God's chosen people. And what, what um, Jesus is hinting at is that in, this la- in these last days, in this time before the final end, he says some false teachers, false messiahs, deceivers, I think is what, what we're meant to think of here, are going to come and they're going to say false things that are going to sound so compelling that they're almost enough to con- to trick the elect. Mm. Um, he, he doesn't seem to say, he says that they would deceive, if possible, even yeah. the elect. I, yeah. I think the elect will remain God's people. God mm. will see them persevere to the end. That's part of the, um, the way we think about how do we know who God's elect are. They're those who trust Jesus and then persevere to mm. the end. But I think he's saying... It's not going to be, these people who are deceivers are not going to be walking around with a big sign saying, don't listen to me, I'm a deceiver. (laughs) Um, They're going to be slippery and tricky and they might sound pretty compelling such that someone who was elect might be tempted even to, um, to, to, they're not going to. The elect will will remain with God. God will Mm. persevere them to the Mm. end. But gee, look out because these slippery false teachers and false Christs, false messiahs, uh, will appear and uh, they will be convincing. Yeah. That, I think, is what's going on there. Yeah, nice. Yep. Thanks, Sam. And, yeah, we, we have taught a bit on election in the past. Even this year, we had a night on election and perseverance mm. in Hebrews. So if you've got more questions there, look back in the archives and see some episodes that we did, yep. the extras on that topic. Yep. Um, if we move on a little bit from verse 24, yep. uh, a bunch of questions came in just about how the timing fits in. Yep across this passage so in verse 22 where we've been we've talked about those days and yeah but they're being cut short or not yeah uh, then we get to verse 29 and there's immediately after the distress of those days mm. some stuff is happening now across the last couple of Sundays if we look at that verse 29 to 31 section you were saying that you know what that's speaking of in 29 to 31 is Jesus death yep and resurrection. And resurrection. Yep. He's, he's um, uh, kind of been granted all authority and power by by the Father as he does his cross work, is what yeah. I was arguing for. Yeah. So help us understand the chronology there, because I think Thank some you. of the stuff before 29, yep. 
seemed you seem to be saying that that was about the destruction of the temple. Yep. Um, yep. But that happened after Jesus' death. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. doesn't it all yeah. work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a. It's this is one of the challenging bits of reading this passage. So. And I just want to acknowledge before I dive in, I think I've got a, an answer to try and offer, but I do just want to acknowledge I could well be wrong here. Um, this is a disputed passage. There are three main views that people tend to go for one of, um, and there's a fourth weird one that lots of people go for, but I don't think is very good. Um, so I'm taking one of three views. And one of the issues as I've wrestled with this, and I, uh, you asked my wife, I changed my mind on this passage two or three times. I came down from my study and I was like, oh, I think it's about this. And she's like, oh, tell me why. And I'd explain why. And then I'd go back up and then I'd come back down. I said, no, I've changed my mind. It's about this. And then I did that again. And so I actually changed my mind a couple of times as I okay. went through. Helpful. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that off the bat. Mm. And uh, if you want to clean bowl me in terms of like, you know, straight through the stumps and knock my argument out of the path. One of the one of the ways to do that is to ask the chronology question. Um, how does the how do the time markers work in that? I think that's one of the difficulties for the view that I've taken. So I just want to acknowledge that off the bat. But mm. I think let, let me see if I can lay it out for you, um, because I think I think you can think of it. Uh, but it, it just makes this passage a little tricky. Um, if verses 30 and 31, which talk about the sign of the Son of Man, um, a, a moment where he comes on the clouds, uh, I've, I've said to heaven, uh, and gets uh, given great power and glory from the Father. If that is about the, the, the moment whereby God, uh, Jesus enters into the Father's presence after his work on the cross and, and then his, you know, in his sub- subsequent resurrection, um, if it's that moment, how does that happen immediately after the distress of those days, if those days might be the destruction of the temple days, because in my argument, that doesn't happen until AD 70. So what you get there is a chronology problem, right? Um, And I think what's going on here is what we call a... um, Let me give you a a big theological word to make me sound smart. Um, A a proleptic moment. That is something that's as good as happened, even though it hasn't happened yet. Mm. Um, and that, that, that's the way to think about the destruction of the temple. And you actually see this in Matthew's gospel. So, um, and, and in a bunch of the other gospels, actually, for that matter. When Jesus dies, you get this funny little um, comment in a couple of the gospels that at that moment, the temple of the curtain tore into from top to bottom. Um, and I think that that's, that's a moment of theological significance, kind of indicating the, the access to, to the most holy place has now been kind of rent open by the, the work of Jesus' death. Um, Jesus can be, appro- oh, sorry, Jesus, the God the Father can be approached now. Um, Hebrews picks up this idea, we have, the, we have access to, to the Lord, um, that that actually happens at the moment of his death. And, and the idea is that it's actually a little indicated that the temple at that point is like a dead man walking. Um, it hasn't actually fallen, but it's it's as good as gone. Mm. It, it's proleptically destroyed, but then that happens. The vindication of Jesus' words don't actually happen until AD 70, but the temple's as good as gone at that point, and the new and living way is open, and we're in the new era at that point. Um, now, it, it might sound like at that point, oh, you're just trying to make an argument fit, and I would say that's the that's the crit- critique that I think sticks the best on the view that I've mm. that I've taken, and I just want to acknowledge that. Um, I still think theologically it works, um, and I think it also makes sense of of actually what does happen to the temple at the death of Jesus. It is as good as gone mm. uh, because the new and living way has been opened up. But if you want to critique the view that I've put forward, that's the best way to do it. So well done. Um, 
Just to back you up a little bit on yeah. that, Sam, I was talking to someone earlier in the week about that temple mm. curtain, and mm. uh, Hebrews kind of draws the access to God point from it. Yes. But actually within Matthew's gospel, I think it, it fits within these other judgment motifs. Yes. So yeah. While the Hebrews point is true, yep. actually within the gospels, it's perhaps more like the Ezekiel point that we saw mm. recently when God leaves the temple. That's right. Here's God departing. It's finished. He's no longer there in the temple to be found. Yeah. So that's why it fits and with the earthquake and the rock splitting and the right. darkness. Yep. And it's a judgment thing. one of the other little clues on that is the very start of this passage is actually Matthew 24, verse 3. Um, Jesus has been in the temple. Yeah, uh, 23, he's, he's going toe-to-toe, confrontation with the, the religious leaders in the temple. And then he leaves and positions himself on the Mount of Olives. Mm. Um, do you remember when the glory mm. of God in Ezekiel left the temple? Where did it go and depart to? It went and rested upon the Mount of Olives. Mm. And I... I can't help but feel like there's just a little, um, just a little echo of Ezekiel going on there. So I don't think I didn't make a big deal of it on Sunday. I think it's hiding there for us in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think just lays at this whole theme that's running through this end of Matthew that the temple is done. We're finished with that. The glory of God is no longer there. It's, it's as good as dead. And Jesus is saying as such. Um, now. Just to defend my view just for a minute, I've opened myself up and said, I think this is how you could critique this yep. view and fair yep. enough. Um, if you take the other view that it is about the end of the world, um, and I think that's the the best, the, the other best option here, that, that actually, no, 30 to 31 really is about the Son of Man returning uh, mm. with great glory and his angels and all that kind of stuff. Um, you got some troubles very quickly at verse 34, which is just a matter of verses away, where he says, truly, I tell you, this, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of this has happened. Mm. Um, and in that regard, you've got to sort of say, well, hang on a minute, that generation did pass away and Jesus mm. still hasn't returned on the clouds of heaven. Mm. And that's where you have to take generation to mean something different. You've got mm. to um, say at that point that generation doesn't mean generation. It means like people who belong to this age, um, which I think runs you into some troubles with the way that Jesus used the generation language back in chapter 23. Um, so you've got a problem if you go the other way too. Um, so pick your problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I and I, look, for me, I, I pick that second problem. I'm, I'm yep. more on the, let's figure out something with the generation. Yep. Not so much around verse 30. Like I think tying verse 30, the son of man coming with the Daniel reading and approaching mm-hmm. God for authority. I'm okay with that. Yep. Yep. I struggle a bit more with verse 31 and seeing mm-hmm. that as kind of this moment of mission now. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, can we talk familiar. about that for a minute? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, so that's the that's another point of contention, verse 31. He will send his angels with a loud, loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one from one end of the heavens to the other. Um, I think the two ways to take that in the two views, so in the Lachlan view, let's call it that, um, <laughs> probably right, let's be honest. Uh, no, uh, the Lachlan view, that's that final moment of the elector out there. Um, they're either dead in their graves mm. or they are mm. alive and waiting for Jesus and the elect kind of are brought in by the angels, um, gathered up. Uh, Revelation uses that image in, in different moments. Um, in my view, um, the... the the word angel in, in Greek, it's the word angelos. Um, it just means messenger. Mm. And it can mean heavenly messenger or just normal messenger. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in that regard, that the, the messengers gathering up the elect in, in this view would be that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, 
Jesus sends uh, with, and I think this lines up with the Matthew 28 idea of the Great Commission, that mm. he sends them out as messengers in that moment, having having received, and it's interesting, his language in Matthew 28, I've received all authority and mm. power has been mm. given to me, so go and make disciples of all the nations. He kind of draws on the, on the Daniel 7 language and sends out messengers to the ends of the earth, to the four winds, if you like, mm. so that they can be mm. gathered up mm in the preaching of the gospel, um, which then means that this trumpet image, actually we've got huge authority as we go just as regular folk preaching the gospel to people in the world, we we go with the very authority of the Son of Man who now sits enthroned at the right hand. So we should take a lot of confidence from that. Um, that's the view that I've held. Yeah. Uh, this, that's uh, one of the different ways to, this, you can see the two ways there. And I'm very happy for you to make a decision that's different to me. You might be more compelled by the Lachlan view and that's okay. I think it, it's, it makes me think of other parts of Matthew, and I've reflected on this before, the harvest image and the harvest language. Yes. Um, that other Gospels, you know, we're praying for yes. workers into the harvest now. Yes. Well, Matthew, Matthew has that in chapter yeah. 9. Yep. But there's another bit in Matthew where that language of the harvest does seem to be pointing to this end days moment where the angels will go. Yep. So it feels like he uses both. Mm. Even the fishing language, so mm. Jesus will commission the disciples and say, I'll make you fishers of men. Yep. In Matthew, you also get this image that I think is also the end days of the angels going out and with the hooks gathering everyone up and separating. Yeah. It's like yep. the, the moment of separation. So he picks up the same yeah, imagery. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes one way, sometimes another and, way. And, and I think in part. that, like on that, I, I actually think you can also see that even in the gospel preaching, there is a, in my view, uh, you could see some of those um, parables and images of angelic work in that um, as Underline there is a there is a spiritual warfare thing going on, and mm. um, the armies of heaven are not disinterested in the preaching of the gospel. Mm. Would be the way mm. that I would answer that mm. challenge and say, yeah, it's not just God's Holy Spirit. It certainly is. It's actually the whole armies yeah. of heaven, are, and there's a whole spiritual battle going on that we don't have act actual access and visibility of. But that doesn't mean that it's not ongoing. Mm. That as you preach the gospel to your friend and invite them to Christianity Explored stuff is happening in the heavenly realms that you just don't have any access to. You just send them a text mm. and say, hey, come to church. And mm. that's that's mm. kind of um, in the context of an enormous spiritual wrestle going on for who who will that person belong to? Will they mm. belong to the Lord or will they belong mm. to the evil one? So I, I don't have an issue with that, but I can see why others would want to read that as an end times, like yeah. a, a, like end, end of world moment. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, it's good. Uh, so, Sam, I think so far we've talked about two different ways of taking the verse yep. 29 to 31 bit. Yep. We've got uh, the cross moment yep. and Jesus receiving his authority there yes. versus an end of days, yep. return of Christ. Before you mentioned three options and perhaps a fourth, Yeah. What, what's the third and fourth? Uh, the, the third option is that actually the bit that I've said is about the temple, um, 15 to 21, I've said is about the Romans coming into the temple, uh, the abomination that causes mm. desolation. There's one view that says that that's actually the death of Jesus um, because he, he's the temple, the, the new temple, if you like, and uh, he is um, defiled, would you, could you say, by, by the Romans as they execute him on the cross. And, and he is um, the, uh, that is verse 21, the greatest distress that's ever happened from the beginning of the world till now. Like, is there any greater evil that's ever happened than Jesus being? Um, crucified. I'm really drawn to that theologically. Um, I got a little trouble with it in that. Well, then why why would it matter about those um, going back to get your um, cloak in your house? And mm. why would you need to flee to the mountains mm. at that moment? Why would it be a bad thing to be pregnant in that moment as you take your flight? It just 
it works theologically for Jesus mm. and you kind of think, oh, that's compelling. But then actually you think about it, that the actual warning that Jesus is giving, he says, so, so when you see that, make sure you, you flee. Um, he actually, he tells them to stay put in the house until, <laughs> until they receive yeah. on high yeah, the yeah, Holy yeah. Spirit. We've been doing yeah. that in Acts, in our yeah. groups this week. Um, so I find that hard to get get around. Sure. Um, again, a lot of people have that hold that view. Um, a bunch of my college lecturers hold that view. Um, they might be right. I could be wrong. I, I want to have some humility here. Mm. Um, yeah, there's another, and then there's a fourth view, um, which I think holds this to be a little bit more connected to sort of um, history as it has played out. So there's there's some people who want to connect this passage into you know. Um, the establishment of the Israeli state in 1948 at the end of, um, you know, the, the, the ongoings out of World War II and that that's a little symbol that mm. um, the end is really near. You know, as you see the fig tree, they, they, they link it back to the fig tree earlier in Matthew's gospel, which often is connected to Israel. Um, but it's once you see the fig tree coming, you know the end is near. And so the idea is that, you know, having seen Israel established in 1948, we should be pretty clear that, mm. you know, the end of the world's around the corner. Mm. But I, again, I struggle with that because Jesus has said, you're not going to be able to work the times out. That's the mm, whole point of this mm. thing. In fact, even the son doesn't know. Only yeah. the father yeah. knows. So here is a thing that even Jesus doesn't know. Mm. So how could he be saying, well, once you see Israel come in 1948, it's quite, um, then you'll know the end of the world is just around the corner. Um, yeah. That seems a long bow. But again, I know a lot of people hold that view and mm. you might hold that view. I'm That's the least compelling one for me, to, to be honest. Um, mm. But that's okay. Um yeah, there you go. Sam, this is really helpful. And listeners, I hope uh, you are enjoying wrestling with this. I know it might seem like it's a bit disconnected from day-to-day life. What are we going to do? But it, it is quite deeply connected. How should we be expecting the return of Jesus? Could he come back today? Mm. Or are we still waiting for some other things to happen? That's Correct. an important question yeah. to have yep. in your mind. Yeah. And I hope you're also seeing as you listen that you know Sam and I, we're looking at the details of the text looking at it within context mm-hmm. that's how we draw meaning from scripture yep. um, so if you're wrestling with these opinions and ideas and hearing other people teach things just keep coming back to the text yep. what does the text say what are the difficulties within there we want to look at the the timing words the tense of things the you know, words and context that's how we read the bible Mm. Um, so I hope you're encouraged as mm. we have this chat, even as we disagree, mm. that what we're looking at is the detail in the text and that that provides a good basis for us to disagree because we're not just disagreeing with one another's opinions. Yeah, that's we right. We have this stable thing in the middle yep. to talk over. Yep. Yep. Um, so look, let's move the conversation on a little bit and come to a different part of the passage. Mm. We talk about some of these implications and there's one, I'm just trying to see what the verse is <laughs> in. Where is the verse about the gospel going to the... Oh, it's uh, back in verse 14. 14. There we go. So some people had some questions here. Verse 14, Mm. this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world Mm -hmm. as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Yeah. If we're talking chronology, that sounds (laughs) fairly clear. Something needs to happen, and then that'll be the marker at the end. Yeah. And some mission organizations take that, you know, back to Jerusalem movement. Yep. We've got to go to all the nations yep, because that's what will bring Jesus' return. Yeah. Um, what do we do with that? Yeah. Um, I um, have been thinking about this a little bit and I'm aware, you know, there are certain people who have that view. There's there's some mission, organ- there's, there's, I think I mentioned at one of the services, there's even a Bible translating um, ministry that is of the view that until we've got a copy of God's word in every language, because mm. we can't reach him without the word of God, right? Mm. We've got to get it in all the languages. So get translating. Um, and then we'll, we'll almost be able to usher in the end because the, what they're saying there is that the 
the end is contingent, dependent somehow upon us first reaching the whole world. Um, that that's mm. so, so goes the argument. Yeah. And so I guess the question is, in the way you read verse 14, is it saying that there's a contingent piece here, that the, that the, um, the gospel must be preached to all the nations before the end can come? Or is verse 14 saying um, the end will come and in the time before that, what's got to happen? Well, the gospel will, will be preached to all the nations. So is one to say this is what will be happening and then the mm. end will come. Mm. I'm drawn to that view because he doesn't say the gospel must be preached before the end can come. He just says that the gospel will be preached and then the end will come. Mm. And so what are, what's supposed to be happening now? Well, as long as the end hasn't come, what should we be doing? We should be preaching the gospel into all the nations. Mm. Um, so I think that that's, that's um, a better way to read verse 14. I don't think the text does demand us to think that until every people group has been reached, then we should just sit tight and go, well, he's clearly not coming mm. back. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And, you know, what a wonderful implication to draw from the complexities of this passage. Let's get on with proclaiming Jesus. Absolutely. That, that is to authority. be, yeah. And I think that, that that runs through with with really what Jesus wants his disciples to grasp here. Don't, don't concern yourself with these things. They must happen. These rumblings of, of trouble and difficulty in, in this age. Get, uh, get on with what the task is. It's the, the, the global mission task, the, the disciple-making task. Um, do that and, and, and when the Father calls it, the end will come. But mm. use this time now for, for mission, mm. preaching of the gospel. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, a couple of other implication things for us. Let's pick up on that gospel preaching one. Mm. Um, someone's asked, you know, the complexity around this end time stuff, there's stuff in the book of Revelation as well that yeah. uh, is tricky. How much of that should we be sharing with people who are exploring Christ? We're yeah. out there being on mission, proclaiming Jesus. Do we take them to passages like this? Mm. Do we try to help them see something of what will happen in the end? Mm. What's your wisdom there? I, I think the best thing you can do with anyone who's exploring Jesus is read the Bible with them. And if you read Matthew 24 with them, that's mm. a great thing to read. I, I mm. certainly don't hear me saying, hey, hold this stuff back. This is... Um, this is kind of weird, creepy stuff that we don't want to talk about with most people. We want to get them over the line with Jesus first and then go, <laughs> surprise, um, there's some weird teaching here. Yeah. Um, I, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think we ever want to um, shrink back in, into it. But more than that, I actually think one of the most compelling reasons to turn to Jesus is, it not, is that, that, that this world will not go on forever, that one mm. day we will face a judgment, we will mm. stand before the Lord, Jesus will return, mm. and we'll have to give an account. Uh, for you know that's what the parables that go on um, in chapter 25 are all about different ways to be faithful now while you wait so you know you've got the parable of the young girls with their oil are they faithfully prepared you've got the parable of the uh, different um, bags of gold that have been entrusted and have they been faithfully stewarding those and then you've got the parable of the sheep and the goats which I'm going to preach on in, in Matthew 25 and I think the big picture is that the the way you live now must be informed by the fact that one day you are going to stand before the risen Lord Jesus and the and God the Father as they sit at the judgment seat and you are going to have to give an account. Mm. Um, and it, in light of that, that needs to loom large, I think, over our lives. And mm. if it doesn't, then it'll be it's so easy to ignore Jesus, ignore um, living for Jesus and just get on with what the rest of our world is doing, which is being comfortable, um, making a carving out a life for ourselves, trying to make our way in the world. 
um, get busy with that because this is all you've got, right? Mm. But if you if you realize that, no, this world is, is passing away, a day has been set and you need to be ready, what better reason to turn to Jesus? So I, I want us to be sharing that in our mission. We, we need to be preaching the realities of the end. Um, now, how do you do that? Do you go down onto the street corner with a sandwich board and a big kind of drum and go, um, the end is nigh? Maybe. You know, um, maybe maybe you do that in your in your relational evangelism. I certainly don't think we want to be um, hiding away from it and and sort of keeping it under our under our cloaks until they mm. they kind of become a Christian. Oh, mm. and by the way, the world's going to end, and you need to be ready. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's worth saying in that, like, I'm just struck by where the passage goes in verse thirty six to thirty nine mm. with this appeal to Noah. I don't know, Peter yeah. in his letter goes the same <laughs> way, but yes. You think of Noah, he's there having heard this word from God that a flood's coming. Yep. No one else believes that. Mm. So he looks like this crazy person building a boat. Yes. And they're going, what are you doing? Yeah. Saying, yeah, the end is coming. Absolutely. I've got to prepare. Yeah. And so as we live this way, as we proclaim this message, people will think we're crazy in that same way. They're just getting on with eating and drinking, verse 38, marrying and giving in marriage. Yep. And they're nothing about what's going to happen. That's right. Uh, it's the same kind of context for us. So don't be surprised. I think you were helpful, Sam, in saying you can't be both cool and a Christian. Mm. You're going to look weird. Yeah, that's absolutely right. People aren't persuaded. People don't think that yeah. the world is ending in this way. I think yeah. we're in the current generation where climate catastrophe is looming yeah. large for people. Yeah. And so perhaps an end of the world is well, and on I think the that, like, for some. Can we get into that for a minute? Sure. Like, I actually think that, that in that regard, there... The, and I think that's a, a, a generation, like there is a generation that are particularly um, concerned for that. Mm. There's also a political um, segment that is particularly concerned for that. Um, I think if that if that topic's on the agenda, that almost gives you an evangelistic opportunity mm. to, to talk about what God says about this. And mm. now, it, again, this might make you sound like, and again, don't hear me in any of this. I, I'm not a climate change denier or anything like that. I've got solar panels. I love that. You know, I'm, I'm very keen that we, we do things um, to, to look after and steward the planet that we've got. But we don't want to buy into a worldview that says that the world will end because of us. Mm. Now, the world might get difficult because of us, sure. But the world will only end because the Father calls time and the Son of mm. Man returns. The, mm. the, the, the planet is ultimately in his hands. And I think sometimes in the discussion around climate, I think we can sort of make it as if we are gods mm. of the world and this is our planet and we we control it and what we do depends on... What, sorry, um, the, the future of the planet depends on us. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it's just another way of us putting ourselves into the seat of God and pretending that this, this is our creation. Um, yeah. Now, none of that is to, to take away um, the, the importance of, of being responsible um, climate you know, looking after our, our, our um, ecological footprint, all these kind of things. Um, we want to think well about that and, and be godly people. Mm. Um, but we mustn't buy into a worldview that excludes God's lordship over his creation and presumes that we control the planet because God controls the planet. And I just think that's, that's yeah, yeah. there's a good moment, a, a good way to speak into a debate with a Christian worldview. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, that's great. All right, last question for you, Sam. Um, you, the passage talks about these false prophets and false messiahs that will come. Mm-hmm. I think you helpfully warned us not to believe every person with their Bible on their YouTube channel. <laughs> yep. Uh, how can we identify the false teachers, these mm. false messiahs? We've already mentioned that it will be difficult, perhaps. They're yep. 
they might have great signs and wonders that mm. are persuasive. Yeah. So how can we protect ourselves? How can we identify yeah. false teachers? Um, great, great thing to be thinking about. I don't think Matthew 24 gives us the answer to that mm. question. He just tells us to look out. Mm. Um, and uh, then I think we've got to do a little bit of homework otherwise. A um, few things to note. Um, even Satan parades as an angel of light mm. is one of the things. Uh, so Satan wants you to think he's one of the good guys so that you'll believe him. Mm. That's an interesting thought. Um, John tells us in his letters, test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. So test them. Um, and so how do you do that? How, how do you? I think that the, the, the rule of uh, the, the, the measuring stick, perhaps, if, uh, that we've got to kind of mark these things against is the Word of God. Mm. Um, and so we, we want to see, does what said teacher say line up with the Bible? And so we want to be people who search the Scripture. Mm. Um, a noble Berean, you know that bit in the book of Acts where... Yeah, um, yeah. Paul goes preaching, I think, is it Acts 16 or 17? 17. 17. He goes preaching in a place called Berea, and uh, we get told that he that, that people there are very noble because they get their Bibles out and they say, does, does what Paul says line up with what the Bible mm. says? And then they go, hey, it does. Let's trust Jesus. Mm. Um, that's a good thing. Um, and we want to encourage that kind of culture, which is why the extras, question times, yeah. personal conversations afterwards, our growth groups, those things need to be driven by our our handling of the word of god and you said it well before lachlan you know even on this passage we, we might have a slight perspective difference and and one or the other of us might be right but we're not right by force of personality or by persuasive um, vocabulary or mm. argumentation or any of that kind of stuff purely we want to keep coming back to the word of god and let it set the agenda for us and so mm. i want us i personally want to have a a willingness to change my mind on the basis of scripture. So if mm. you can show me from the Bible why I should change my mind, mm. well then I, I want to, and I, I, mm. I hope I do. Mm. Um, and I have, you know, I did it three times last week in Matthew 24. <laughs> <laughs> I kept going back and forward. Yeah. Um, not yeah. because I wanted one argument to be true or I wanted one mm. over the other. I just wanted to keep letting the text set the agenda for me. And I think that's what we've got to, that, that's how we look out for a false teacher. Keep asking the question, uh, does it actually line up with the Bible? And if it doesn't, um, mm. I think you want to be kind of, you want to get your, your sort of spidey senses up at that moment and go, oh, hang on a minute, is this? And then dig deeper and ask some questions and then, you know, seek wisdom, talk to, uh, to if you don't feel like you, you know enough of the, about the Bible, get trained in how to do that and mm. help someone, you know, get someone to help you do that. Talk with people, but keep coming back mm. to God's word. Mm. Maybe you've got something to throw in on that. Look, I think that's really helpful, Sam. A couple of other things that come to mind. Um, one is... Because of the persuasiveness of, say, these false teachers, the size of someone's following yeah. isn't a good mark of whether they are true or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that That is something we can fall into. We can think, well, look, this person, a lot of people are believing them, following them. They've got a big ministry. Thousands of people couldn't be wrong. They, yeah. yeah. That, that's not a good measure and yep. a good mark. Yeah. Um, because people can be persuasive. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing, back to your point, is to go, we don't have to be identifying these teachers on our own in an isolated way, mm. part of the gift of church community is that we can talk about and wrestle with these things together. Yep. So if you are listening to someone on YouTube and you're wondering, mm. you know, talk to your grad group about that. So I was listening to this person. This what is what they think? were saying. What do you? Yeah. yeah, I'm reading this book. What do you yep. think? I'm meeting with this group of people from outside of church. What do you think? 
Um, and I think that's part of how we might do that testing thing that John mm. talks about in his letter, mm. um, that we are assessing these things together yeah. in light of the scriptures. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So maybe a practical application to finish, don't come to church without your Bible. Mm. Don't just sit there and listen and go, oh, well, Lachlan or Sam said it or <laughs> Raj said it or it must be right. Mm. Um, have your Bible open. I much prefer it when people are there. They're, they're looking, they're following. I'm saying, look at this verse. They're looking yeah. at that verse. And then if you think, you know, I'm, I, you, we're not always right. Mm. Um, and I want to have the humility such that you, with the same Holy Spirit that I have, the same Bible that I have, can come in and say, Sam, what do you think about this? Yeah. I want to be open to changing my mind on the basis of the Word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sam, thanks for a great chat. Uh, it's been good to wrestle with Matthew 24 together. Uh, guys, we'll see you again on the next episode of The Extras next week. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.